You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 181, Matt Till and Living on Mission. I hope you're ready to go. I'm excited. Let's get it. Hey, friends. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thanks for being here, for downloading. Uh, we always appreciate that wherever you are in the world. Today, our guest is, he's a lecturer of Christian ministry and communications at my alma mater, Trinity International University in Deerfield. So we have that connection. Uh, he's also the lead pastor of Restoration Church in the suburbs there in Chicago. And he's connected to a past guest through a podcast he's a regular contributor to called Ephesiology. Um, and he does some other things. We'll hear about that. So our guest today is Matt Till. Matt, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I am glad to have you here as well. Um why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are? I gave that brief introduction, just listing off some of the things you do, but tell us about you and kind of where God has you right now. Yeah. So, um, as you said, I'm, I'm doing a few things. Yeah. You're busy. <laughs> yeah, people, yeah. People ask like, how do you fit it all in? And I go, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I am doing it very well, <laughs> right. but uh, we're trying. Um, yeah. So I'm a church planter primarily, uh, by day. Um, and, uh, that's the, the primary thing that t- takes up most of my time, uh, in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, as you mentioned, I, um, am also uh, teaching at, at Trinity International, uh, part-time and then doing another podcast and doing some other things with uh, Ephesiology with, uh, our friend, Michael Cooper. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's been some exciting things there and mostly God's just got me in a place of really looking at the church as a whole. And what does it mean for us as the church and as the body of Christ to be living on God's mission? And uh, that has really been the emphasis behind all of my, I think where God's been leading my family, it's been leading us and um, bringing a revitalization or what we hope to Western Christianity. Yeah, I love that. It's certainly interesting. Um, So one thing maybe my friends don't know is that uh, I work at a little publisher where Michael's publishing his book. So I actually got an advanced copy this this week, or I got the the digital Did you copy. Get it already? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's the digital copy, so I'm. Sure. But I uh, my job is marketing, and so I was like, I need to read that so I can help get that get the word out there about it. So that's uh, by the time this comes out, maybe it'll be out. So it'll be close or around that time. So it'll be good. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're we're connected in all kinds of ways, which is cool. Yeah, and I think a lot of our work um, in which uh, we're doing with the physiology is starting to get some traction. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, we're doing this podcast, um, but also, too, the, the forthcoming book is coming out, and it's really looking at the early church movement um, and, uh, and what are the principles from that movement that perhaps have been lost over the last 2,000 years, and how do we begin to – what can we learn from them today yeah. as we kind of live in a more of a first-century type of environment, especially in the West? So we've really been digging into that, like a theological way of thinking and understanding missiology. Yeah, you had a show blow up too, right? The state of the church in America <laughs> yeah. got a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we were a part of a think tank uh, held at the uh, Wheaton College, um, the Send Institute there. Uh, most people, uh, it's led uh, by um, uh, Ed Stetzer and his team, and uh, they held a particular think tank for church planters and 
uh, or church planting coaches and trainers. And, and uh, they were really looking at like, what does it look like for us to be leading today for the church of, uh, in 2050? Yeah. And we were looking at um, a lot of statistics of going, what does the church and the current trends look like? And we have a net zero growth for the last like four or five years of zero practically. Wow. Um, and so we're closing roughly amount of the same amount of churches that we're starting in church planting. So, uh, and if you just look at it, that trend line, we're completely plateaued. But when you add in population growth, we're actually losing. We're not mm-hmm. keeping up with population growth. Um, and so uh, there's a real issue at play in the current church context. And we're, and we're this think tank was really kind of uh, bringing all these voices together. People are active in church planning across denominations saying, hey, here's the state and what do we got to start to do? Yeah. And uh, so we kind of debriefed that a little bit with what uh, on our podcast. And yeah, it's gotten a lot of attention. That's good. That's good. I'll put a link to that episode in, and a link just to your the physiology website, but that'll be in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. I love that question, though. It's it's really interesting to me. I've taken more to thinking, you know, 2050 is one thing. What's the church going to be like in 2250 if we, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, right? We have we have to start to adapt. But we need to have a, a, a 200 or a 300 or a 500 year view uh, because people like, uh, I don't know, let's throw some names out like Martin Luther or Augustine or like they, they, it really matters. But it's, uh, what we do today reverberates throughout the church history. So, uh, but maybe, maybe only if we do things that are worthwhile. Um, I think that's, I think that's a great question to ask because those guys have the, I mean, you think about Luther and yeah. I mean, the impact in which he has had on the church for well beyond his generation has been profound. Yeah, absolutely. And some of it's good, some of it's bad, but all of it was, I think his heart was to to reform the church back to God, which is what we all, I think, need to be doing. So anyway, that's a whole rabbit hole that I could go down for a really long time, but I would really rather hear about your story. So let's go there. Um, did you, you're in Chicago now, and I'm, I know that I asked you this when we talked before, but I don't remember. Where, where are you from? Are you from Chicago? Yeah, so I'm from Chicago, okay. uh, from the suburbs, uh, born and raised. Um, I studied in Chicago. Um, <laughs> I really haven't left much of the area other than for a few vacations. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a, everything you need is in Chicago. It's great. Um, so what was your family like? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a home that was religious. Um, we uh, grew up in a Methodist church context. Um, and, uh, so I grew up hearing the stories of God, uh, hearing about who Jesus was, owned a Bible. Um, we would go to church pretty regularly, Sunday school, things like that. Um, really living just that, that suburban Midwestern, um, nominal Christian life, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, well, describe that for us. Tell what's the, what was nominal about it? Well, I mean, you know, looking back on it, you know, we, I can call it nominal. I, when I, you know, going through it, it was just life, right? You know, just some people went to church, some people didn't, or some people went to the Catholic church and Lutherans and we were Methodists, you know, um, you know, there was a moral, um, underpinning to all that, which we were and did in our life. Um, but, uh, the consequential, it was somewhat said, it's, um, hmm, I guess it was an inconsequential faith as I guess is what we could uh, hmm. best describe it as. Um, it was something we oriented our life around, but not too much. Um, and, uh, at one point, my dad and I were both invited to a Promise Keepers event. This is in 1996. Mm-hmm. I was probably like uh, a fresh, you know, eighth grader or freshman in high school. 
And uh, I can't remember the time of the year it was, but we had gone to this um, Promise Keepers conference. We'd driven down in a bus with a bunch of other men from our church uh, to Indianapolis. And um, I couldn't tell you who spoke. I don't remember half the things that were said. Uh, I do remember this huge production. We're sitting there in the RCA dome, which it doesn't exist anymore up in the nosebleed sections. And on day two, what I did hear that day was the voice of the Holy spirit. And I did uh, hear the gospel uh, for the first time. And that I actually needed to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, That was a foreign concept to me. Um, And that was made so abundantly clear to me and that uh, I was somebody who was in need of, of a savior. And uh, I just lost it. I mean, I was just, I was, I mean, just the spirit was just in, in the heart and just saying, this is your call. Mm. And uh, the same thing was occurring to my dad at the same time. And we both received Christ today uh, on that day on the same day. Wow. So yeah, we got to share that moment together. That's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it's uh I get, you know, it's a testimony that I know that a lot of your listeners would listen to and go, wow, that's amazing. Uh, some people would, would say, man, I, you know, I'm growing up in a family that's broken. Uh, I wish my dad would, would, or, you know, I wish I had a father figure in my life or I wish I could experience something like that. And, um, you know, and I guess, I guess I just, I just look at that as just going like, that was just something unique, I guess, that the Lord was doing in our life at the same time. And uh, that really sent our trajectory into a whole new, into a whole new place for us as to what does it mean to have a consequential faith, one that um, has, has deep meaning, but also one in which uh, Christ is at the center. And, um, you know, and I, I just, yeah, I rejoice in that. So I, I, I think that's been, that's been a, a neat testimony for us to have. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about that. Cause that seems like it would be a pretty dramatic shift from, um, you know, having a, as you put it, an inconsequential faith to a consequential faith. How did that, um, work itself out? I'm curious, especially in your relationship with your dad and then, uh, what did it look like for, for you as a, you were a high schooler then, right? So what'd that look like for you? Yeah, I wish, I wish there was a, a, a better, um, you know, I, I, so I've always had a great relationship with my dad. Um, it was, um, and, uh, I, I felt like that if anything that did bring us closer together, um, you know, I wouldn't say we were ever distant, but it certainly was a unique bond to which we still share today of, of a moment that him and I both have, have were able to witness in each other, but also to share. I got to see him uh, lead our family in new ways. I got to see him uh, take initiative in ways that he had not seen, taken initiative in. Mm. Um, I got to see uh, him and my mom work through things that uh, maybe they hadn't worked through before um, and begin to go, get outside of their own comfort zone and say, we need to start looking at other churches. We need to find a place that's going to speak the gospel and, and lead us in the ways of Jesus and not uh, just a inconsequential religion. Um, and so that was one of the, that was a big, those are some big moments there. And of course, I think it, for me, it was difficult because I knew that something had changed inside of me. Um, however, um, uh, you know, going through a high, as a high schooler, I mean, man, I, there were parts of me that was living my faith and there's other parts of me that just did not live that faith. Um, so it was actually a bit of a difficult time and a confusing time for me. Um, and, uh, and I, I wish that there was, you know, it's interesting for you know, when you have that moment in which you have the conversion experience, you can point to there's something that's changed, but unless you experience true discipleship, you don't know how to change. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, yeah, it totally makes sense to me. So, but you have to have somebody to invest in you, right? You need, you need that. So 
how did the, did you have people like that? It sounds like your dad maybe was doing some of that uh, just naturally, but what what was that like well, for you? Actually, yeah, actually, what I would probably say is that I think we as a family, all of a sudden, we were all baby Christians. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And it felt like my parents, even in some ways, had little to offer me because they too were on the journey. And I think they would even admit that to you today. You know what I mean? That, man, like we didn't have a whole lot to offer as a way of other than we just got to get you to come to church with us, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that makes sense and I don't fault them. I, I actually think that, you know, there were, it is what it is. Cause they were at the same time learning and growing is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It really wasn't until college that, um, that I started really, we started attending a more kind of a, what you would call a Bible teaching or a, you know, gospel centered church that uh, suddenly is where I found real discipleship. I found uh, commonality amongst others. Then all of a sudden I had people pouring into me in mm-hmm. ways that I had never experienced before. What was that like? Kinda, I want to hear um, about that. So yeah, what are some formational moments in, in college? Well, so, you know, what I did, I commuted to school, so I was still living at home. And then we, I was able to go to the same church that my parents were going to. Mm. So we were able to still like, so, you know, I was engaging in life with them. And then, uh, but we all, we at the end of the day were able to, you know, so now we're kind of around the same people uh, in the same church context. But then I had, you know, I'd have a pastor that would just sit there and pour into me more and like invite me along and say, hey, come serve. You know, I found out I was going into production. And so mm-hmm. uh, for that was my college uh, degree. I was going into television production. He's like, hey, why don't you come and serve on our, our audio team? And why don't you do this and run this for us? And how about you produce a video? And, you know, so, you know, you kind of get sucked into the usual typical programming things, but all of a sudden you're around a bunch of other people that are living and walking this life. And then you're getting involved into, Hey, you should be in a small group. Okay. Sure. I'll get into a small group in a Bible study. You know, now you're getting into real community and fellowship with people. And so suddenly it was just kind of this evolving thing that all of a sudden was happening. And then you're getting around these kind of individuals who are talking the same talk, uh, learning and, and wanting to follow the ways of Jesus. And then, and, it, you know, I don't think it, it was always perfect. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, Never is. Like most of, yeah, exactly. Most discipleship relationships aren't always perfect. But I was, I was being uh, shown again the gospel over and over again in just people's lives. And I was then being reminded of who this Jesus is that I had given my life over to four years before. Um, and so I, I distinctly remember a moment where I kind of had that, you know, we talk about it in Christianity, like, Oh, I recommitted my life to Jesus. Right. And, and I literally, like, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all of this makes perfect sense to me now. And now I'm in the body. I'm actually, now it wasn't this, this isolated moment of, um, you, you believed and you received, but then you weren't in the fellowship of others. Now I realize in the context of community, this is where this really gets played out. And, um, and again, so that I think that really began to form me in dramatic ways because um, now I began to see the community and the church for what it was, and um, I think with the way that God intended it to be. And so, uh, maybe again, not in perfect ways, but at least in a way that I knew that I wanted to dedicate my life to serving these people and to living among these people. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I think those those moments um, of rededication, I, you know. You've heard the joke about the kid who like gives his life to Christ every year at camp, you know, like that happens. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think those are, they're very formational. I think, I think that they're really important. And I think they indicate something deeper that, Hey, uh, you have this desire to be uh, not only, uh, 
you know, with God, but like to live your life with him and going forward. I think that's really important because those, they, they does shape our understanding of who we are in him. Yeah, I would agree with that, Eric. And, and I would say that, um, life is complicated. Um, and there are so many aspects to the life and to the heart that constantly need to be, um, chiseled away at and given over to the authority and given over to the supremacy of Christ and his lordship in our life, that uh, we're going to constantly be in a state of repentance and renewal and hopefully restoration in Christ. And so, yeah, it would kind of make sense. Like at some point, if you're in touch with your own feelings enough, (laughs) you know, in touch with your own life, I mean, we should be having these moments of, you know, uh, whether we want to call them recommittals or not, or, or just even the sense of going, Lord, make me new again. I'm here. Here's the next barrier that needs to get over uh, that I need to get through. And uh, I'm only going to do it by your grace. Right. Where did you go to college? So I studied at a four-year school at, called Columbia College, Chicago. Okay. Um, it is one of the Midwest's uh, largest uh, media arts schools um, and uh, probably one of the largest ones in the country. Um, and uh, it's a private school. Um, and it's in the very heart of downtown Chicago. Um, and, uh, something totally like, a <laughs> a suburban, a white suburban boy. I didn't, had no idea I'd ever end up there. Um, yeah. but, um, I had this real bend for creativity for, um, a bit more of an artist, but I wouldn't say in the, uh, traditional painting ways, but rather, uh, really appreciate technology and media and, and film and video. And so, yeah, I was really just felt called to um, to pursue a degree in a program in in uh, television production, directing, things like that. Yeah. So I studied there for four years and at the same time, again, was growing rapidly in my faith in Christ at the same time. Um, get out into the career field um, and began to work in broadcast television in Chicago, all the while trying to live a life for Jesus. Yeah. So was that difficult? You know, in some ways, yes. And in other ways, no. Um you know, man, I, you know, coming back on the other side of this, when I, when I left that career field and have come internal into the church, in some ways there was a bit of a, a breathing moment. Like oh, I can kind of like feel like I could just be myself, you know, but then I feel like what was lost in that is the ability to interact with other people, um, outside of the, the Christian bubble, like we, we like to call it. Yeah. So, I mean, there were definitely things that, you know, you had it, you encountered that you just like, oh man, I do not want to deal with this, you know, uh, writing promos for shows like Eliminate, you know what I mean? Like really, or like the Jerry Springer show, like, yeah. really do I need it? I do not want another soul watching this, but this, but because we air this on our TV station is what helps pay my paycheck. <laughs> right. You get the tension there, right? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, but you know, I never felt like that my value were really ever infringed on. I never felt that my, um, you know, that I had to do something that was unethical or something that was really violating who I was as a believer. And everybody knew, everybody knew that I was a Christian. Everybody knew I was different. I had a boss, you know, my old boss there, man, um, Jim Roach, man, what an awesome guy he was. And I just, I just remember one time I walked into his office and he's like, you know, Matt, when you're around, I'm just like a nicer person. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I try not to swear a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, in some ways I kind of took that as a positive thing of going like, you know, maybe I just had a, you know, a positive impact, you know, impact. And that's really what he was trying to say is he was, you've got a positive in- impact here on this, uh, on our department and on our community. And when you're not around, uh, some of that's lost. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have the full, um, 
missional thinking behind it at the time. And I wish I did because I, I think that would have shaped more of who I was or understanding that that's mm. actually how God is at work in and through me. Yeah. Um, but how, rather it just was a tension point. How might that have changed how you approached going to work in Chicago television? Yeah. I mean, you know, so God is sovereign, right? And so I'm not there now and God doesn't yeah. have me there now. So it's, it's totally fine. But yeah, if I could go back and rethink that and kind of take a, some of the formation I feel like I have now with me, I think I would have um, rather enjoyed working there more and also would have enjoyed staying in that role um, at a much longer period of time. Because what I've come to understand is that God wants to be made known and he wants to be made known everywhere. And he uses us as believers in every one of these spaces in which we find we find ourselves to be his witnesses, um, not just to not just to get souls saved. But I mean, obviously, that's part of the process, but also part of a full restoration. Like, you know, Christ is about uniting all things under Christ in him. Right. And right. so uh, he wants to bring hope, healing, restoration, all these things into every environment. And so that's a community in which you, you know, in which I, my very presence, which was not just me, but it was the Holy Spirit living and working through me uh, in and amongst the, uh, the people and my coworkers, which I was working at and have, could have had a, a greater positive influence. At. And I get, you know, if I'm honest, I have to say, in some ways I have some regrets about walking away from that. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So I asked that question not to really just explore regrets, but just to, sure. uh, because I know a lot of times many of us, uh, I, I've always felt this way or often felt this way, uh, feel like if we're not doing some sort of professional Christian ministry that we're not making an impact for the kingdom. Um, and that simply is not true. And so uh, 100% yeah. amen. And, and I would say that um, a part of my testimony in this story is that I actually believed that lie mm. for, for a period of time. And because um, my transition out of that industry was actually to take that gift, that talent that I believe God had given me to work in television and to work in the industry. Um, I have two Emmy Awards. I've wow. been nominated a total of four times. I have, you know, like there's a lot of things I did that I felt like was like, I was well-respected, well-liked. Uh, people wanted me on all their projects. Um, and so, but then I, I took that talent and brought it internal to the church. I was hired on at a church, at a mega church in the staff to do that very thing for the kingdom of God. And I will tell you, it was the worst job in the worst year of my <laughs> life. Wow. Okay, so tell me about that. Yeah, don't name the church. We don't need to know. <laughs> no, I'm not going privately. To. I'm you not can tell to. me that. No, no, it's um, and there are many factors at play there. So what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to talk about me. How's that? Yeah, that'd be great. So I'm just going to talk about me, and I'm going to talk about what God used that that scenario for, and what He did is He beat that lie beat. Uh, yeah, <laughs> He graciously re- uh, showed me my own pride in this, but also revealed to me about that lie that I was believing. And that was that I'm not doing anything of really value in the kingdom of God apart from the church. And that was the lie. Um, but rather, um, you could be doing something for the kingdom of God even outside of the church. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. And, and I know I'm not the only one who's had this experience because I've talked to other people who are, are similar. That's who true. Who've done similar things and moved from the marketplace into the church life. And they're like, what the heck is this all about? <laughs> right. Um, it's, uh, 
It's really hard, man, when you know how the sausage is made sometimes, right? Because you're you're actually dealing with people, even though you know you would like to believe that your pastors and the, all the people who work there are uh, fully formed spiritual people, and the reality is they're not. They're still on the journey as well. Yeah, which is why the show is called Halfway There, right? We're 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 all on the journey. Okay, so you're so you're finding. You're going, okay, I'm going to move into this thinking that you're going to, now you're going to really make an impact for the kingdom and then getting going, going, ugh, this is not really what I wanted at all. What'd that do for you? I guess you kind of described that a little bit, how it shaped your, or changed your view. How, I mean, I don't know, take us into that. Was there like a moment yeah. when you realized, oh. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I came out of that pretty sideways, actually. Mm. Um, I, I grew a lot in my faith. I'll say that. In what ways? Like, that's what I want to know. What, what? Yeah. So my wife and I, you know, went through that season together and, um, and it, you know, it really caused me to, uh, want to really pursue, um, I had to lean into God. I mean, I had to lean into Jesus more and more because I realized something is amiss here. Either I'm either there's, I mean, cause there were things happening to me from the outside, from, from the church context that were unjust and that were not healthy. And then also I realized that, Oh man, there's a part of me that's not healthy and I need to get that right. And so all these things were happening at once. And so I had no other place to go other than to Jesus. And so uh, I grew a lot and I felt like the Lord revealed a lot uh, to me. It was the first time in my life that um, I read through the entire Bible cover to cover. My wife and I did it together. And actually we did the chronological um, uh, Bible study, you know, uh, reading plan. And just new insights were just coming to me, things I hadn't seen before or connections or passages I had read, but connections I had never made before. And I mean, I just felt like the Lord just like lit us on fire and uh, in, in, a, in a deeper faith in him. And out of that, the Lord really began to do something inside of me that said, um, you know, Matt, this was a this was a fun experiment for you this year. And I'm glad you got a chance to see the other side. And um, but there's neither of these pictures that you've had are what you think is, this is what's going to end up at. And so, um, in that my wife and I had taken a vacation. It was after I had already left that job, I was kind of, uh, freelancing and doing some other things. Um, my wife and I got a vacation and it was just a disconnecting, like, Hey, let's just, you know, get away for a little while. And the whole vacation, I mean, the second we got in the car, and we're driving down to, we went down to Tennessee to the um, Smoky Mountains and spent about a week there. Yeah, nice. The entire vacation, God was just saying to me, Matt, plant a church. Matt, plant a church. Hmm. Matt, plant a church. You're going to church. You're going to plant a church. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, are you, like, are you kidding me, God? I mean, you must be kidding me because A, I'm not a pastor. B, I just got out of working out of a church and I'm not so crazy if I want to continue <laughs> doing that again. And C, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. what is, like this cannot, like, I, like, what have I been eating? What have I been thinking about? Yeah. And I'm evaluating myself. So anyway, a lot of time of prayer, a lot of processing. And then finally I drop into my wife on the way home, right? So like all vacation, this is in my mind. And then on the drive home, I, I opened to my wife and I said, you know, I think the Lord is saying, go plant a church. And, uh, that began the conversation and, uh, where we're in, what was shocking is how it ended. And that was, it wasn't with full affirmation, but it was with, um, if this is what the Lord is calling you to do and calling us to do together, then we should explore it further. Mm. And I think that was the permission then for my wife. And I just, we just felt the spirit kind of leading us and, and going, well, then let's press into this. 
And so, and honestly, the Lord just opened up new opportunities after new opportunities for us to continue for me to grow into a pastoral ministry type of role, the one that I didn't fully expect to have, found joy in it, uh, found that God had equipped me more for it than ways that I had assumed that I was not equipped in. Um, and then eventually I kind of tested the Lord and I said, well, you know, I, I should probably go to get my, I should probably go to seminary. So, but I don't have the money for that. So how are you going to provide for it? And he found a way to provide for it uh, through scholarship and through some other uh, funding, uh, creative funding. I mean, God just like, he paid for it all the way. We went to seminary debt free. Wow. Well, did you go to Ted's or where'd you go? No. So yeah, I, I, we were starting our, uh, starting to have kids at the same time I was starting seminary, which is also insane. And I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> I've been there, done that. Yep. Get it. So, uh, but what we did is I went to Knox Theological Seminary um, and it is uh, based in Fort Lauderdale, but they had really launched a robust online program oh, that cool. I had not yet seen. Now everybody's doing it now, but um, this is like around, oh man, 2012, 2013. And so they, uh, they had a robust program and I just, we, we, it was well-priced and it was great because it was able to be flexible enough for our family, uh, for me to get through it. So really loved that experience, really enjoyed it and, uh, got a ton out of it. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that period of just sort of grounding your faith and in the study of the word is really valuable. Do you, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, um, like, is there, was there any, moments where God really spoke to you or like kind of changed your view of anything through seminary? You know, um, yeah, I think it actually is the shaping of, of where I am today. Mm. And that is, um, I mean, there were a number of things, you know, theological, I think that just started kind of becoming more clear to me, um, over time. However, I would say the biggest one was again, this, this nagging thought of church planting, I mean, at the time I was working full-time as like an associate pastor, youth pastor, young adult pastor, doing everything, you know, it was two pastors on staff, <laughs> yeah. the senior and me, you know, and then we had a couple of other part-timers, you know, like a worship leader, things like that. Um, and, um, and yet the nagging thought of plant, you know, plant a church, go church plant, uh, that actually only grew through this experience of me in, in seminary. And, um, and it was, just, it became a fire within me. And, mm. and it was all of a sudden realizing that this is where I started understanding the mission of God and that God is a God on mission and how that affects and understands and how that permeates into our ecclesiology and into all of our methodologies. And um, I, I just, this is a picture of God that I had not seen before. Um, and so whenever I heard about mission, it's like, oh yeah, we, we go on a mission trip. We go right. evangelize. It was always a you know, it was always something about saving another soul or, or telling somebody about the gospel. But suddenly I realized that there was a new dimension to this, to this God who's on mission, who's uniting all things um, under him. And so I just all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, like this is a whole new world to me. And it started influencing everything that I was starting to see and understand uh, about God and, and about the church. And so. What did uh, it change? What did, what did you, what, what kind of views had to change? Um. I had to under, I had, you know, uh, one of the things I guess I had to understand was, um, uh, a deeper understanding of the gospel. Uh, I had to understand that the gospel was not just simply saving a soul mm. to go to heaven and avoid hell. Now we know, uh, just so you know that I'm Orthodox, uh, we know that that <laughs> is part of the story of God and that it is the gospel, right? Right. However, um, there is a more holistic understanding yeah. to the gospel. Yeah. 
and that God is seeking to, I mean, in Revelation, you know, uh, was it 19 or 20? Uh, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. Yep. Right. And he doesn't say I'm making new things. I'm making all things new. Right. And, um, and so I, th- there's this holistic approach in this understanding that when, when God so loved the world, right, his eschaton, he loves it all, everything. And he has sent Jesus to save everything, to redeem it all, right. to restore it all. And uh, so often in our, um, man, it's so much in the church, we've just been so consumed about saving another soul that we have forgotten about, you know, the environment matters too. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there's this inherent belief that we have that if you believe the right things, you can go to heaven, right? And so, so much of our mission, so much of our churches are, are driven on changing belief or correcting belief or giving somebody a a right belief. And I think that is just actually detrimental and stunting to people's spiritual growth. Um, It prevents them from actually having a relationship with God. So that's interesting, but I think you're totally right. If we go back, if you go, go to, go to scripture, go read God's goal for us. And then when you realize that's the same promise he made to Abraham. That's the same thing he said. That's, the, that's where I was going to go. Right. That's just where I was going to go. That was like the big, that was one of the biggest mind boggling moments that I had is, and that was revealed to me in seminary. Is yeah. We see the blessing that was given to Abraham to be a blessing to the world. Right. I'm like, this is the gospel in Genesis 17. Like, right. this is incredible. Right. When you see that big picture story, man, it will change your world. So yeah, I could see where that, that totally shaped you and then kind of was leading you into what you felt like God was already asking you to do. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, yeah. And, you know, even to your point too, about, you know, we're been more consumed about getting people to believe the right things. I mean, that's just the definition of tribalism at its best yeah. or at its worst. Right. I mean, cause that's what we do is we, we get into these denominational huddles and we, we start getting into our distinctives and what makes us distinct from the other people. All we're doing is being tribal. And um, I think we're entering into a new era, a new generation that cares less about tribalism and more about collaboration mm-hmm. and mission. And we want to unite around one thing. And that one thing is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so uh, we're going to have to give up a lot of tribalism. We have to give up a lot of our distinctions um, or maybe not fully give them up, but we're going to have to lay them down yeah. for the sake of the other and for the sake of the mission. Otherwise, we're never going to see this done. Yeah, that is really well put. I agree. If the last 500 years have been all about fractures, the next 500 are going to be all about uh, healing, I think. Somebody quote that, write that down right here today. <laughs> Eric Nevin said it, okay? <laughs> Somebody quote me in a history book in a thousand years. That'd be great. Yes, that's going to be enshrined. I love that. <laughs> I think it's true. Um, but for the reasons that you pointed out, right, that, hey, this is we, where people are tired of that and it's time to start moving in the other direction. So, okay, so you decide, how did you end up, you, you knew that God was calling you to plant a church. How did you end up actually doing that? What was that like? Yeah, so, you know, uh, my church, my last church experience was a, was a good one. Um, and it was a, uh, I mean, God was just using that so much in my life. We saw so much fruit in that. Um, and just had a lot of support around us and the burden, the fire was really building up, um, a lot within us and within me. And, uh, through a strange event, um, 
I don't know if it's that strange. All of a sudden there was this uh, glitch on the, my senior pastor came to me and said, Hey, you know, the budget is looking really poor right now. Uh-oh. And we're talking about like a major, like a major, like drop in giving right now. That's not looking good. We may need to consider, you just basically said to me, you know, you may need to consider brushing up your resume um, because we're not sure how this, um, at the end of the year. So this is like October. He comes to me a few months in advance and he says, you know, listen, I, I don't know what this is going to look like, but just in all fairness to you, you may want to think about this. So, you know, of course that like, you don't want to hear that. Um, it was very kind of him to come early and to say, this is where we're at. Um, this is what the elders are thinking about. And so, um, so we began to kind of put things out there and I was thinking, Oh, maybe I need to get back into the marketplace. Maybe I got to look at other churches. Maybe I'm looking at everything. Okay. And nothing. God's like, got nothing, (laughs) no opportunities of one or two brief interviews. I did just didn't go very well. And, uh, but the only people that were talking to me then is church planting, uh, church planting organizations. Surprise, 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 surprise. Right. Yeah. (laughs) On multiple levels. Um, Right they're desperate for church planters, but <laughs> right. And also of course God has a plan. Yeah, um, exactly. And That's- so, you know, I actually was kind of avoiding those conversations cause I knew that was gonna be a six to 12 month process. So I'm thinking, Oh man, I mean, if I'm going to be out of a job in three months, I need something fast. Well, uh, at the end of the year around closer to like in December, um, the budget rebounded, God's people just came faithfully and provided. And so my pastor's like, Hey, I mean, man, God just, I mean, God really worked a miracle. It was amazing as to the amount of money that came in for the church and for funding. And so there was no need to let me go. And so there was like, you know, are you, what, what are your plans? I said, well, I'm going to stick around. Obviously I got nothing else. However, I have these other conversations that have started now that I'm going to kind of just see where they go. Well, of course, you know, the story goes on and of course those conversations continue to accelerate and we just felt the timing was right, that it was time for us to, to go on and to pursue this life and this mission that God was really burdening us for. So I think he really used that event as the catalyst just to kind of get me to have some conversations that I probably wouldn't have normally have had. So, yeah, um, yeah you know, it, it seemed kind of like a big deal at the time, but when you look back on it, it was just kind of a, a bit of a, a, fa- a test of faith, but also one that I think God used uh, for us. Yeah, that's interesting. God kind of sparked some church planning conversations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So then you ended up, was it with an organization or how did that work? And tell us about planning the church. Yeah. So I was shopping a few different organizations, uh, some of the more popular ones and less popular ones. Um, was having some really awesome conversations with a lot of them. Uh, found up most of them. I mean, just everybody to be very well-meaning. Uh, everybody's really excited about wanting to pursue the kingdom and uh, a lot of collaboration and things like that. Uh, I ended up with the Evangelical Free Church, um, the EFCA, and uh, which I'm an outsider to. Uh, although you being a Ted's person, yeah, <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's their seminary uh, and they're proud of it. Um, but yeah, I was an outsider to the free church. I, my interactions with Trinity is really through my wife, uh, who was an undergraduate. Um, and then also a number of other people who I know who'd come through there. And I'm also very close to that seminary as it is. So just through osmosis, I guess, you know, I had some interactions with the free church. Yeah. But I found that this group of individuals that I was meeting with uh, just seemed to, um, they really had an openness. And I guess that was kind of the, the, I, the thing I really liked about the free church is that there was just a, a freedom and openness to say, you know, we're not having denominational control, but rather we want to see the kingdom um, expand. So we ended up with them and, um, and going through a residency program. Um, it did not end up the way we had hoped it would. Um, you know, we were, uh, and I think this is symptomatic of, 
as we talked or at the beginning of this podcast, um, we talked about the other one that we that I have been working on with ephesiology and about the state of the church. When we were starting to yeah. plant our church in 2017, going into 18, this was the very cru- crucial year that everybody was having a reflective moment in church planting. Because in 2015 and 16, suddenly the methodologies that everybody had been working with for the last decade were starting to fail rapidly. Uh, Church planters were harder to come by, and the trend line had suddenly plateaued and if not started falling. And so um, we were planting at the tail end of that, and our trainers, I think, weren't totally up on what was happening. And And in all fairness, nobody really was. This is all just kind of happening at once. On top of it, we here in the Chicagoland area saw two mega churches uh, go through major scandals that were also having a lot of upheaval. Yeah. That'd be Willow Creek Community Church and then also Harvest Bible Chapel. Right. And so those are literally like in my backyard practically. And so literally we're dealing with, I'm trying to plant a church in the middle of evangelical like nuclear war. Okay. Like <laughs> the apocalypse is really what I'm just, it's like evangelical yeah. apocalypse. Right. And, and so nobody wants to go to a church. Nobody wants to go to a new church. Nobody wants to find a church, um, whether you're a believer or non-believer. Um, so we, we really were, we were hitting, like, I, I think it was just the worst case scenario. Okay. So that's put some things in doubt. So then what, uh, how that resolve itself? Cause yeah, that, that has been interesting doubt to watch. Leads to, doubt eventually leads to depression. And that's where <laughs> I found myself at times. Uh huh. Let's just be honest. I was going to ask about that. So one of my questions is, have you ever felt like I was far away? Have you felt like I was maybe abandoning you? Was that a season of that or? You know, oh, that's a good question. I don't think I ever felt like God was abandoning I did question the call though. Mm-hmm. And it was probably the first time in a long time that I felt I had ever questioned the call. And, um, man, through, I would just say through the help of faithful um, brothers and sisters and even our church. So we ended up retreating our church plant. We were kind of starting to pursue a church plant. We we're starting to meet at a facility. We started to try to do Sunday services. And it was like, this is unsustainable. We don't have the people. We don't have the money money for this. So we retreated into the house and we said, we're going to do a house church kind of format here. We're just going to regroup. And uh, this began to shape kind of our, our missional bend uh, a little further and also who we were as a community. And after a while, I'm from like, you know, this is actually kind of nice. This is kind of cool. Well, I like this. And then again, the doubts started coming in. And the doubts of the call of like, is this all this is going to be is just this, <laughs> these people in this room. Yeah. And, and I went through a pretty rough season, um, last summer where I felt like, man, I, I think this is like, I got to get out of this. Like, this is unsustainable. It's not healthy for my family. I don't know how we're going to make this work. Although God had already been providing in abundance already through this, uh, through over a year that, I mean, we should have closed up shop. I mean, a long time ago. But here we were being sustained, being faithful, continuing in the ministry. And, you know, I eventually just got really open and vulnerable with my church. And um, at the end of the summer, and I just shared, guys, here is what I'm feeling. Here's what is on my heart. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's where we're at. And I was expecting them to go, you know, Matt, we love you and Mary, you and your wife and your family. This has been a fun experiment, but let's just close up shop. You go do something else. We're all cool with this. I thought that would have been like the best case scenario. Like everyone's just going to be happy about it and just go like, yep, this is fine. But instead, 
they get around us and say, we love you. Um, I think that uh, some of these things that you're thinking about probably aren't always 100% true. Mm. And this is how God is working. And you are called to this. Wow. And uh, that was humbling to hear because I didn't want to hear that. I had convinced myself at that point that God had said, move on. This is fun. And um, to hear these people come around us and to have even ownership on what we were doing was just, I mean, that, that literally like that, that like changed me that moment. And um, yeah, it's just been, it's been awesome just to see us like just continue to press in and go, I feel like more than ever, I know I'm called and I feel more than ever that God's using us for his glory. And I don't even know what the picture of that even looks like tomorrow. Yeah. But we know that we're walking in faith and we're walking in exactly the, the pathway that God's wanting us to walk through. Wow. That's like a really affirming moment. Like God once again said, hey, no. And he used people to do it as he often does uh, to say, hey, no, this is where I want you. Yeah. And it's, and I felt like it, these are the, some of the closest people that we've had too. I mean, these, these, yeah. this is our church community. These are the people who are meeting in our house every week. These are the people who we're doing fellowship with. And we're, sh- we're going to the Lord's table every single week, sharing and communing, submitting our lives to Jesus Christ, learning to dive in his ways. And yet we're all still a mess. We're all still learning how to, how to love Jesus more and to love others more. Um, and yet when, when I was able as the pastor, like going against all advice I've ever received in pastoral ministry, don't be too vulnerable with right. your church. You might scare them and it's bad leadership practice. I come out there and I'm just like, here it all is. This is where I'm at. Yeah. This is what I'm feeling. And they look at me and go, yeah, we hear you and we <laughs> love you. And by the way, you're still called to this. Isn't that, oh man, what you just said about leadership, that just astounds me, right? It's so, I'm so disturbed by the fact that leaders are expected to be perfect. What a dumb thing. So we're asking our leaders, (laughs) we're asking our leaders to lie to us so that they can be good leaders. That's ridiculous. No, no, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is we're all broken. We all need Jesus. We all need the gospel. And uh, they're not leading us there because they are perfect. They're leading us there because they are needy as well. Yeah, that's how it works. Amen. Amen, Eric. Yeah, wow. that's that that's a great story. Yeah. Um, okay, so I love that. How'd you get involved with ephesiology? Well, so in this journey, um, so uh, Michael is uh, my wife's former professor, okay. right? Because he taught uh, at, at Trinity. At Trinity, uh, yeah. Did, did you know Michael when you were there too? I didn't. I think he came a little bit after me. So I was there like 97 to 2000. I graduated in 2000 at the undergrad. And then I did a year and a half at the seminary. Um, but some of it was part-time, so I wasn't there a lot, but. So, so Michael, uh, was, so uh, there was a connection that was made. Uh, my wife had gotten reconnected with him and, uh, was hearing some of the work that he was doing through, uh, the missions organization that he's been working for. Which is cool. People can find that. He shared that story with us back in the episode. I'll link to it. You guys can find it. And so uh, what he had done, it, well, he happened to be in town. Uh, and so uh, there was coming up a week that he was going to be in town. And so my wife said, hey, can my husband and I meet with you? We're church planting. We resonate with a lot of what you're saying. And so we got together at a, at a local Panera that I like eat at and, and work at all the time. And he um, 
uh, was in town and we just started sharing our story and some of the things that we were thinking about. And that just began a relationship with Michael and I. And he was starting to work on uh, this idea, this concept of ephesiology. And we were, he was kind of already in the process of it. And he was starting to share it with some other people. And eventually he was in the process of writing the book. He's like, hey, here's a chapter I wrote. Would you take a look at it, Matt? And so I started, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this stuff's amazing. This is exactly what I'm thinking about. And so I was just kind of offering up a few thoughts to it. And just kind of one thing led to the next. And Michael's like, we should, like, I want to introduce me to his friend, uh, Andrew, who was a former student of his. He's in Houston, Texas. And so we started getting on a Zoom call and just started talking. And next thing you know it, we're like, we're doing a podcast. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been, it's just been a wild ride. But I mean, Michael has just been like the affirming voice uh, and helping shape so much of and what we're doing with the physiology has actually drawn me into really solidify these ideas that I had ha- that I had been getting out here and finally was starting to ground it in something that I felt like we could just like tangibly hold on to and, and move, move forward with. Yeah. You'd been kind of circling around them a little bit. And so he's bringing it into, uh, into the real life. Would you say it that way? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And, and, and it was really that, that sense of going, like we were experimenting with church, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to make my church plant work. You know what I mean? At the same time, I'm struggling with some of these other theological ideas and ephesiology brings these two things together. Yeah, It's robust theology um, and orthodox theology. And it's relooking at our ecclesiology, the way in which we see church. Yeah. And it's blending these two things together by going, hey, like, and, and, and seeing like God is a God on mission and we should be seeing growth, not stagnation or death. So there's right. a problem. And we're trying to go after that together and trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I love that. Okay. Those are some great concepts. Uh, Matt, I could probably talk to you for a long time. I appreciate it. We're, we're kind of running up, up to our time here. Um, People can find you. Your website is MatthewTill.com, right? Yes. And they can find you there. I also have links to your Twitter and the physiology, the, the podcast episode we mentioned. Um, all of that is uh, in the links at HalfwayTherePodcast.com. So check out the show notes, friends. Matt, is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, Eric, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm just so grateful for an opportunity to, to share my story. And, um, and I hope it blesses uh, your listeners. I have no doubt that it will. We covered some great ground. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Eric.